meeting, and then we continued it this weekend. So I appreciate them taking time out of their, their busy schedule, uh, being uh, husbands and, and um, pastors of their church, and coming and, and helping us. So just want us to welcome uh, Michael Muller to New Covenant. Oh, game on. I am really excited to be back in the middle of the Midwest where I feel like I'm at home and uh, it's just been uh, very welcoming. I appreciate CJ and uh, the staff and the elders. Thank you for such a warm welcome. It's, it's really, really good to be here. I want to, uh, to talk today about something that I think, uh, what, from what I hear, CJ's been talking to you a lot about, and that is uh, discipleship. What is a disciple, and how do you make one? I grew up in, like I said, Kansas City. I, I, I'm Baptist, okay? You probably saw my Baptist moves up here just a minute ago. I mean, moved to... And that's about as good as it gets, all right? But, but you know, we, we were trying. I was trying. And, and uh, <laughs> God is good, praise the Lord. And so uh, um, I, I grew up in Kansas City in a Baptist church. I went to Southwest Baptist University, home of the Bearcats, grr, in Bolivar, Missouri, where I played soccer for them. You know, something really manly that doesn't help me out any. And, and then I went to a uh, uh, seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. After I graduated from seminary, had, had I gone through all of that, learning Greek for um, uh, two years, learning Hebrew for six years, learning uh, 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 German and how to, how to parse the Bible and all kinds of different languages and Latin and French and, and knowing and understanding what God's Word said and how to study it and all of that. When I walked across the stage to get my diploma from the president of the, of the seminary, if he would have stuck out his great big old hand and said, Mike, before I give you this little piece of paper, what is a disciple and how do you make one? I would not have known how to answer that question. I didn't think much about it until something right after seminary happened. My wife and I, um, she's from South Carolina, uh, we... Uh, we got on a plane and we went to Romania, and we lived there for several years. And we did uh, we learned the language, we we um, planted churches. But as we were flying in for the very first time over Romanian airspace, there's the country. It's beautiful. It hit me. What am I doing? And then then it hit me after we landed and you know on our one way ticket. I'm like, whoo, this is fun. Uh, we, we got off the plane. We were greeted by colleagues, and, and they said, come on, let's, let's stay. This is where you're going to stay the night. You're going to be in our house tonight, and then we'll set you up in your apartment and get your language school underway. But, but tonight, stay with us, have some food, and we'll show you the city tomorrow. Like, cool. So we, we woke up the next morning, and uh, my, my boss's name was Mike. It's a godly name. And Mike said, come on, I want to show you the city. So Mike was driving. There was a guy named Clay, who was another co-worker in the back seat, and me in the passenger side. And we're driving around the city of Bucharest, and it's beautiful, uh, you know, mounds of trash because the, the uh, trash collectors have been on strike for about three weeks, and, and the stray dogs were coming in. It was, it was, but yet I, I was able to see through all that, and it was just a beautiful place with beautiful people. And so I asked I ask my boss, where is the Christian bookstore so that I can get some materials to disciple people? And Mike looked at me, and um, th then uh, from the back seat, it, Clay Moss, who had a, a Bible with him, tosses this onto my lap. 
And he said, there's your bookstore. You might want to get familiar with it. (laughs) I still don't like clay moss. (laughs) Got some issues with that. I said, "You're, you're, you're kidding, right? That there's there's no there's no Angram Lots. There's no um, uh, I don't know. There, there's no um, Beth Moore Bible studies. There, there's no experiencing God. There, there's nothing to help anybody out with uh, with understanding or studying Scripture. Mm, nope. Okay. So I thought I've got about a year to figure this out because I'm going to be in language school and it's going to be fine. And, and by that time, there's going to be some stuff that's translated and be fantastic. Then I can make disciples. You know, with the material that I had. Well, we graduated or finished language school, and I was pretty fluent in the language. We went way up in the mountains in Suchava, six hours from the nearest English speaker. And while we were there, I got a phone call just after we arrived, and it was my boss, Mike. And Mike said, "Uh, I got some more news for you. I'm like, great, what you got? He said, "Um, we don't have any more funds to do big evangelistic kind of things. Okay, Mike, so let let me get this straight. There, there is no discipleship material in this country. No. And now we have no funds to do big evangelism kind of things. So, um, you know, uh, I can't bring in Billy Graham or anything like that. No, no, no. It, it's not going to happen. Why am I here? I, I mean, really? And it was at that time I began to realize that, that I had a big problem. I, I, I didn't know what a disciple is or how to make one. Now, you may think as a missionary that that should be just common knowledge, but evidently it's not. Or, or somehow I just missed that. Um, it bothered me. So I started praying. I'm like, God, how, how am I going to do this? We're here for like four more years. Surely you want me to do more than just support the economy. I was driving in the car, a uh, national friend of mine, his name is Ovidiu, uh, was riding along with me. And, and uh, as I was driving down the road, it just hit me. What if God's word is sufficient? What if, what if all those big words we say about it, what if that's enough? What, what, if, what if I could use this to disciple people? <laughs> like that's way too easy, right? And I, okay. So we're driving down the road, and I said, Ovidiu, we're going to pull over. And there was a guy working out in his field and with a wooden rake, and he was just getting after it. And I pulled over and yelled across the fence, can I help you? He looked at me said, no. Yeah, but you don't understand. I really want to help you work in your field today. Why? Now, I was ready for a lot of different responses from the man, but why that question, I was not ready for. So I, I just started, you know, I'm speaking in Romanian. I just said, I, 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 want, I want to work in your field today. And he said, I can't, pre- I can't pay you anything. I said, did I ask for money? And now he's really confused. And he said, where are you from? I said, America. And he said, you want to work in my field and I get paid for it. Yeah. He said, well, what's what's going on then? What do you want? I said, just let me tell you and your family a story when we're done. He said, this is the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. I said, me too. (laughs) 
So uh, at the end of the day, uh, we worked and we went into this little, little bitty house that was about the same size as the sound booth back there, the, the back of it. And um, uh, when I got there in the evening, of course, it wasn't just he and his family. It was the whole little village, about 20 people. And they were all gathered in because they wanted to hear the story that this American was willing to work all day for. So I walked in and I just began to tell them the story of Christ. Uh, This is weird, but I'm going to go for it. And I I told the story of Christ's birth just as simply as I possibly could. And and I said, um, after we were done, we were talking and dialoguing about it. And what does it mean? And how does that apply to our life? And uh, they said, can you come back? I said, yeah. Do I have to work in your field again? (laughs) So I went back and and uh, all of a sudden, the next thing I know, we are planting a church in the middle of this small village. I thought, wow, that's kind of fun. Let's go down the road and see if we can do this again. So the next little place that so we went down was just another little village. And we sat down inside of an open courtyard, little farm uh, courtyard with chickens running around. And I sat down on a little bench and there was a hog blowing hog snot on the back of my legs. And that was just a beautiful. If you have never experienced that while sharing the gospel, you have missed life. I mean, you get done and you're like this, right? (laughs) And we were able to plant another church in the middle of a courtyard underneath an oak tree. And then we were able to plant another church in another little village that uh, had only one business. And it was just this little bar. And, and it was hours away from anything else, way up on the Ukrainian border. And, and as we walked in there and we, we uh, uh, began to tell a story, I got a phone call the next day, and it was the owner of the bar. He said, um, I, God just really spoke to me yesterday as we were just studying his word, and I, I can't sell the things that I've been selling here. And so I've closed it down, and this is where we're going to have the church. Sweet. Wow, I like that one better than the hog snot place. Four churches in the matter of just a few months. I got a phone call from Mike. He said, my, my boss, and he said, I'm leaving. Um, okay. I want you to come down. I want you to take over in Bucharest. I don't like that city. There's like eight million people there. I live in South Carolina now. There are 4 million people in that state, right? I like a little bit of space. I love people, but I want some some space. You're in Oklahoma. You get that, right? Yeah, we do. (laughs) I moved to this just massive city and began to pray, how do we reach this city? Over the course of the next three years, we, um, we saw 53 churches planted in a city that had 17 churches when we started. There were 9,000 believers when we got there. Three years later, there were more than 21,000 believers. And I, I, all I, I had a team that was just fantastic, and we, we just were about this. What, what, what is a disciple? How do I make one? Is it important? You know, as, as a missionary, I, I struggled with that. 
He was he was a real burden to me. I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. But I felt this all-consuming just pressure to figure that question out. It was the one thing that Jesus had called us to do. The Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. Go therefore and make disciples in all the world and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? Okay, so I'm supposed to go and make disciples. That's what he's called me to do. Does it, does it bother anybody else? That somehow I couldn't answer the question. Does it bother you that maybe you can't answer the question? That we have no concept of how do I make one of those? Or, oh, that's the pastor's job. No. Jesus told this to fishermen. And he told this to tax collectors. And he told this to businessmen. He didn't tell it to preachers. He told it to everybody who would follow him. Y'all... That's a good southern word, by the way. (laughs) Make disciples. Does, Does it even give us pause that today in America we can't even relate to that word? It does for me. That scares the heebie jeebies out of me. You know, I look at the state of the church in America and and it kind of makes me a little nervous. And I read Jesus saying to his disciples, and I'm one of his disciples now, so really he's telling me, go and make more of you. Okay. But his disciples didn't look at him and say, well, go away, Jesus. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> My family tells me I'm not right all the time. And, and you know. <laughs> And the people in the Midwest are like, man, I'm glad he went to South Carolina. <laughs> they, they didn't have to say that, though, because they knew. So today, I, I want to I just explore for a few minutes, how, how in the world do we make one of these things? Sound good? Sweet. So uh, I need to do that by, by doing a few things. The first I want to do is I want to look and see how Jesus made them. That's probably a pretty good place to start because whatever he meant by it, that's what he showed us. And then I want to look and I want to see what his uh, apostles, what the disciples, how did they make more disciples? Because that tells me how they understood his command. Go make more of y'all. And then I want to ask the question, how do we do it? Because it should probably be similar to how Jesus did it and how his disciples did it. Sound good? Sweet, you're talking. See, Baptists, they just kind of do this. Y'all are awesome. Thanks. I'm not really sure what to do with people who talk. That's great. In in Luke 6, this is what Scripture says. Talking about Jesus. He's been praying. He's been fasting. When the morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also designated as apostles. I'm going to give a whole lot of Scriptures here. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 17, as Jesus was just about to go into the city of Jerusalem, it says he took the 12 disciples and he brought them aside by themselves. And on the way, he was teaching them. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 20, now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12 disciples. I could give a million different verses where it's just Jesus and the 12. Consider this. Never once in Scripture... 
did Jesus ever go say, hey, guys, I want you all to go in that city up there and just tell them that I'm coming and whip up a big crowd for me and then bring them out to the hillside so I can teach them. Jesus never once said, "Okay, um, uh, I'm going to go seek out the masses. They always sought him out. Now, get this. He never turned them away. He never refused them. He would heal them. He would forgive them of their sin. Something only God can do. He never refused them. He would teach them big groups of people. But then after he would do it, he would bring his 12 back and he would say, you know, that story I just told to them, it was for you. Do you understand what I was teaching you? Do you understand what I want you to do? Jesus didn't follow up his teaching with the masses, but he did with the twelve. Jesus never invited anybody to church so that the pastor could save them. He didn't, uh, you know, pop in... um, to the guy's house who he had healed with leprosy just, you know, a couple of years later and just say, I just want to check on things. You doing all right? He met the needs of the masses, but he made disciples in a small group of people. And, and he did it on, 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 uh, uh, for a very focused reason. And I want you to hear about this focus. Because it's found in, in, if you have your Bibles, in John chapter 17. John's Gospel is the fourth book of the New Testament. About uh, two-thirds of the way through the Bible, you'll start the New Testament. If you're having difficulty finding the book of John, and that's like a normal name. It's not uh, Zechariah or, you know, uh, Obadiah. Once you get to the normal-sounding names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then you're getting close. So we're in John's Gospel. If you're having difficulty finding it, there's a table of contents. Um, It's not considered cheating to look there. In uh, John's Gospel, John chapter 17, Jesus is getting ready. They've just had their final supper with his disciples. He's getting ready to go out to the garden and pray, but he's going to pray with his disciples in this upper room. And and then ultimately, uh, the next morning, he's going to be arrested and, and crucified. This is what he's praying. He spent some time praying for the 12, and then he, he says, I also want to pray for those who will hear because of the message that I've given them. So Jesus is praying for you, and he's praying for me. Kind of really cool. Before he goes to the cross, John chapter 17, verses 3 to 5. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I've glorified you on the earth, and I have done what? Finished the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I've got some issues with this. Jesus hasn't been to the cross yet. And he says, Father, I finished the work that you gave me to do. No, 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 no. See, Jesus, you haven't because you haven't been to the cross yet. I need you to go there so that you can die for my sins so that I can have a relationship with you. That, that's, that's the biggest work. And I don't want to undermine that at all because from the beginning of the world, that is the most significant thing that has ever happened. But Jesus said, if I would have come born of a virgin, 
lived a perfect life, died a horrible, tragic death on a cross, and got up three days later and had not left people behind who knew the story and would pass the story on, it would be just like guy had never come at all. The work, Father, that you've given me to do, I have poured into these men. Jesus invested his life, his time, his resources, his love, all into this group. He, he, didn't, he didn't do it in a church of 10,000 or of 400 or of 150. He poured his life into 12. And he said, I want you to do what I do. Go heal. Go forgive. Go tell people. Go love people. You do everything I did. You've done it. Keep doing it. Now, if that's how Jesus made disciples, how did his disciples make disciples? I think it's crucial because then, then we understand what he meant. Y'all go make more of y'all. Or, you know, we're almost in the Yuns category. Yuns go make more y'all. <laughs> I'm just not right. Acts chapter 20, verse 4, is one of the most powerful verses in all of the Scripture. This thing is going to, it will change your life. Are you ready? This is, this is what uh, uh, Dr. Luke writes. Acts chapter 20, verse 4. And Sopater, if your name is not Sopater, thank your mother. not nice. One day in heaven, that brother's going to come up to me. You know what you said? <laughs> You're right. That's what he's going to say. And Sopater, from this town of Berea, accompanied Paul to Asia. Also accompanying Paul was Aristarchus and Secundus of Thessalonians and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and Tychius and Trophimus of Asia. Man, I just rocked your world, didn't I? You, you have just been... Here's, here's what that verse said. When Paul went, he didn't go by himself. But in every place he went, he said, you're going with me. Come on, we're going to the next city. And we get to Derby. Hey, you look nice. Come on, you're going with us. And then he would go on down the road. Timothy, cool, join the group. And then Paul had this little group that everywhere he went, they're traveling with him. Huh, I wonder where he got that idea. So here are these 12, and and they are now bending their lives on reproducing themselves. The cool thing was, um, as they began to intentionally invest their lives in other people, like on purpose, you're going with me. And the world was just rocked by the message of the gospel. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 4, we're seeing thousands of people coming to Christ, worshiping him in the temples and in homes. Where we can have little groups of people being discipled, talking about Jesus. Cool stuff, like families getting together and moms and dads actually pouring into their kids and other parents pouring in to one another. And wow, this is really awesome. It's almost like like God intended that to happen. 
Hey, remember Jesus said, uh, was asked by a scribe, what's the most important thing in all, in all of the teachings of Scripture? What's the most important thing? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with everything you got and love other people just as much as you love yourself. Because I know you love yourself. Eat three times a day. You love yourself enough to take care of you. Take care of somebody else. And here they are doing it. And when they did, it was so attractive that people were falling in love with God. In fact, Scripture says in Acts chapter 4, people who weren't a part of the church looked upon the church favorably. That'd be kind of cool if people who weren't believers in America kind of thought, wow, that's some cool stuff happening in that church. Those people actually, wow, that's awesome. I don't know if you talk to people who don't go to church. That's not what they say. Well, those people over there, if you want a good fight, if you want to hear, you know, some gossip, if you want to hear something that really doesn't matter, they just get together and, you know, kind of do their thing, but it has no meaning to the rest of their life, well, that's what you do. And that's a great testimony. Here they are. Simply sharing God's word with one another and their lives with one another. Back, back to the, the original question. If Jesus made disciples by investing in a small group of people and he looked at his disciples and he said, go make more of you. Go make disciples. They looked at him and said, okay. And they went out and they grabbed people and they said, you're going with me. And in small groups of people, they began to explain and trust people with the ministry of what was going on. And these weren't normal people. Or, or these weren't, these weren't uh, theological people. These were, these were normal people. Like bankers and, and sellers of purple dye. And men and women and boys and girls. Just, just normal people. Not people who could read Hebrew and Greek like me. Because I'm weird. Why do you keep laughing at that? You're supposed to say, no, we love you. Remember, you clapped at the beginning. Now you're like, you're right. (laughs) I tell you, no respect. Jesus said, I'm going to invest my life in some disciples and a few people. His disciples said, I'm going to invest my life in a few people. And we are going to change the world as we continue to do that. Many of us um, here claim to be followers of Christ, disciples of Jesus. And if Jesus told it to his disciples and he's telling the same thing to us, maybe he expects us to do the same thing they did. You have to invest your life with some intention on a few people. The, the good news, the really good news is, you're going to do it. Everybody does it. I, I don't care if you're a believer in Christ, somebody who's never heard the gospel, or, or, or you're here today. It, it doesn't, doesn't matter who they are in the world today. Everyone will make a disciple. Everybody does. Here, here's the really good news. For instance, I'll tell you this. How do you make a Kleenex dance? You put a little boogie in it. (laughs) 
Now, some of you are going to think that's funny, like me, and you're going to remember that. And later on today, you're going to make a phone call like to your mom or, or to your dad, or you're going to tell your kids, hey, guess what the preacher said today? It's really good. And you're showing off, I have made a disciple. Thanks. It's my only, it's my only trick. I can do it well. And so uh, I also played college uh, uh, soccer. And I love the sport. Now I, I have uh, in the past coached a little traveling team. We travel all over everywhere and just beat the tar out of anybody in the southeast. It's awesome. My little traveling team. And, and, and uh, <laughs> I, am, I am giving these boys the skill set, the knowledge that I have about the game of soccer. No, you don't just run out and just kick the ball any old way. You lock your ankle, you bend your knee, you drive through the ball. Okay? Step by step, here's how you do it. If you really want to blast it, shoelaces down, toe down. Don't kick the ball with your toe or you're going to find yourself on the bench. Toe down, facing the ground, and I want you just to drive through that ball with your knee and ankle locked. Awesome. Pretty simple. I've made disciples. I have two girls. God has just blessed me with girls. Because I know when I get older, they're going to take care of me. Those of you who have boys, may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> it's true. You always got to look on the bright side, right? So, <laughs> so um, I have two girls. It was uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I was driving down the road. I have a 10-year-old and a 6-year-old, and I was driving down the road, and somebody cut me off in, in a lane of traffic. And I, I let out the proverbial, come on, dummy. And I hear this little angelic 6-year-old voice from the back seat, yeah, come on, dummy. I am making disciples. In our church... Um, We've got just some normal people. Are there any normal people who go to church here? Like, I've got a wheelchair salesman. He's six foot five. He would fit in here, by the way. I feel like this, when you represent, you all are huge. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, I'll be here all day. (laughs) But he's six foot five, 350 pounds. I'm his friend because he's the biggest guy in the room. And my dad taught me well. Find the biggest guy, be his friend. So, Cornell, (laughs) brother, (laughs) Jeff is a wheelchair salesman. That's what he does. You're like, cool, I guess. Um, Jeff, several years ago, that's all he did was... Sell wheelchairs. I've been investing my life over the course of a few years, and Brian has two and and several others, but investing in Jeff. And Jeff is now, um, this is cool, teaching pastors and has been helping train pastors from 27 different states, nine different countries on how to make disciples. I've got a used car salesman. He's kind of like a, a fisherman in the Bible. You know, they, they're both liars. 
It's this big. No, I've got a great car. So, wow, these are just good today. Write these down. Uh, <laughs> but Chad is awesome. Chad, uh, Chad hears what's, he, he's now opened his house up to, uh, to be a host home for a small group. But Chad hears the stories that we're telling from Scripture. And he said, you know what? The economy's difficult. We're going through a hard time. He walked into uh, a salesman uh, meeting. He's the general manager. And he walked in to talk to all of his salesmen on Monday morning, on a Monday morning. And he said, hey, guys, uh, I know how difficult this has been. And this was last year. That, that, that we're having a hard time selling cars, that you're having a hard time making ends meet I, I get that it's just it's just bad i want to give you some encouragement and he told the story that he had just heard in small group he said i hope i don't get fired for this but i'm going to share scripture with you and he began to tell him the story of joseph how joseph had had some uh, had some trouble in his life and he was sold by his brothers into basically slavery. And then he was sold out into uh, prison. And then he was forgotten in prison. Like, And he said, I, it, it's been hard for other people too. We've got teenagers who start small groups in their schools. They walked in and said, um, you know, can, can we do this? We're going we're gonna to meet with you as a... As a teacher and we're asking can i start a small group in my school because i care about the people who go to school here and i want to invest in a few of them wow that's that's horrible i've got i've got little kids who um one little kid he said uh, right when we started small groups he said mom dad why don't our, our neighbors go to uh church anywhere well son it's because uh it, the mother has dementia and the dad has to stay home to make sure she doesn't hurt herself. That's okay, mom and dad. I'll take church to them. So he goes over to him. He sits down at the table with four chairs, one extra for the person that they were going to invite the next week. And he says, let me tell you a story. Got another kid. Snot nose. He's a boy. He, he, goes, he goes to a baseball camp. And while he's at baseball camp, he's eight years old, and he says, all right, guys, at the end of the day, after we've played all day long and we've had our stuff in the night, we're going to all meet. You're on this floor in the dorm. We're all going to meet out in the middle of the floor, and I'm going to tell you a story. I'm like, dude, Alex, what'd you tell him? He said, whatever I can remember. I'm like, Knuckles. Everyone makes disciples. It's just a matter of to whom or for what. Are you going to make uh, disciples who are joke tellers? Are you going to make disciples who are successful businessmen or women? Are you going to make disciples who are um, uh, uh, athletes? Are you going to make disciples who follow Jesus? I guess the way to ask that is, um, what does the message of your life tell other people to do? Because get this, you're going to be held responsible by a holy God, creator of all things, for the disciples you've made. Not CJ. His job is to equip you to make disciples. Now, he's going to do it in his own life, too. 
but he's not held responsible for those people that you live in a neighborhood with or that you go to school with or that you go to work with. His responsibility is to help train you to, to love on those people. I, um, I wish I could say that we're incredibly successful at this as a church in America, but my state, South Carolina, 75% of the state is lost, has no relationship with Christ whatsoever. And I wonder if it's because we can't answer the question, how do I make a disciple? But the one thing Jesus called us to do, we have absolutely no idea. Or, or what's even scary, what's even worse, we don't care. And we're just apathetic. Yeah, I know, but that's for somebody else. That's what we hired a staff for. That's what, no. No. Nope. They are here to model for you what to do and how to do it. Um, my greatest fear when I look at America is that we don't care enough about people to get involved in their life, to tell them about Christ, to show them what he's doing in our life, or to help them grow in their faith. That scares me. I, um, I just want to ask, Who are you investing in in your life for the cause of Christ? Not for sports, not for work. Who are you training in godliness? And if you can't name them, Woe is us. Because Jesus isn't asking us to do anything that he didn't do. Right? Sometimes I look at the church and I've heard all the statistics of um, what's happening in America. Ten years ago, we took a census. Uh, Was it last year? We took another census. In that ten-year period of time... Uh, There is not one county in America that is more Christian than it was a decade ago. Way to go us. And yet I read the scripture in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 16. I think it's verse 18. Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, hey, hey, Peter. Uh, your name's Peter, and on this rock, yes, it is, verse 18, and on this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. But I hear things like, the church in America isn't growing, it's stagnated at best, and it's declining in most places. So, okay, Jesus, I'm left when I read that verse, that, that your, your name's Peter, and on this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. I'm left with a couple of choices. Either Jesus lied, and I'm not really willing to say that. Because he didn't lie about anything else, and that seems like a pretty small thing. Why would he lie about that? So my only other choice is this, that we're not being his church. But we think, oh, I can do church however we want to do it, and God's going to bless it, because after all, his name's on it. What if God is looking at his church and saying, my name is on it? 
And that's why I'm expecting you to live the life that I've asked and called you to live. Make disciples. What if it's just that simple? From the time I was 16, I began praying to see a revival. To see God just move. And as a missionary in Romania, when I saw it, I told you I'm a soccer player. I cried for three days. Because it wasn't happening with my people. And I'm still not over it. God, breathe. God, blow. I leak. And I'm not going to apologize about it. So with all that is in me, I am going to bend my life in pouring into a few guys. And we will reach this world for Christ one person at a time. Will you... um, Will you stand with me? Will you pray with me? Just stretch, stretch your legs a little bit. And just bow your head and close your eyes. And, and just, I, I, I don't even know how to give a, an invitation to this. But do other people's lives look more like Christ because you're in their life? And if the answer is no, maybe we just need to put our faces in the carpet for a while. Jesus, we're your church. We're your disciples. Father, in some cases, forgive us. Forgive us, maybe one, because we didn't understand what it is that you called us to do, but forgive us because we haven't been intentional about being in other people's lives for a specific reason and bringing them to you and helping them grow in their faith. Jesus, would you delight in your church in America? Would you delight in this church in Stillwater? That hundreds of thousands... of men and women and boys and girls and students could be changed through the life that you are breathing into this church. And in the quietness of the few minutes, I just ask you to pray. Who do you need to be investing in in your life?
Jesus, look upon us with favor because we're yours. And spur us on to be better. It's in your name that I pray. And God's people said, Amen. Well, I trust you were challenged by the message. And now my prayer is that you'll answer the call. You know, we don't want to just hear a word and, and say amen and then go about our own lives. But we want to respond to what the Holy Spirit is teaching us. Amen. And so I want to encourage you this week to allow the Holy Spirit to deal with you and, and just let him minister to you how he wants you to begin to put into practice what we've been talking about, about discipleship. Amen. And I do want to remind you that there is an offering box out there on the table. Um, You guys have a wonderful week and be blessed.